Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Thank you, and good morning. It's always a joy to have you guys join us here, New Life Foursquare Church. It's been a little bit since I had a chance to speak. I think it was back in October, and in the in-between time, some of you have taken liberty to come up and to complain about my preaching. I'm a young guy, and I'm always open to be able to receive correction. I was a little curious to find that people had taken offense that the last time I had spoken, I had not shown a picture of my son, Paxton. Caused a lot of people to get all in a tizzy. So I figured I needed to show you this. This is a picture of Paxton with his great-grandpa, Burton Brawley. Uh, Grandpa Burton is a wonderful man. We're so thankful for him and his legacy. Over the holidays, we had a chance to go visit him out inside of the Corvallis area, and we were just so thankful uh, to see those relational, generational connections happening there. Paxton is 18 months old right now. He is all gas pedal, no steering wheel. And we're, 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 doing, we're doing good. We're, he's just a joy. We love him to pieces. Um, also, our other big news is that my wife and I recently found out that we're going to be expecting our second child uh, sometime this summer, so we're pretty excited about that. It's a new year and a new theme, uh, Empowered for Life here in 2012, and here's what you need to know moving forward for us. On the weekend, we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of John up to and through the Easter season, which is early April, and then following that, we're going to begin a study in the book of Ephesians focused on spirit living, spirit-empowered life, and I believe I can speak on behalf of Pastor Ron, the elders, and the other leaders here at New Life when we are praying that here in 2012, more people will become more in love with Jesus, more empowered by the Holy Spirit, more connected to this church body, and more empowered to go out and be a light and an awesome agent of redemption for the kingdom of God here in our community for 2012. It's an exciting time. I want to encourage you to continue to show up, continue to pray, continue to give, continue to stay connected. It's an exciting time to be a part of New Life Foursquare Church, and we hope that you enjoy your time here. Also, I wanted to let you know that Pastor Ron does send his love and his greeting. His thoughts are with you. Unfortunately, he cannot join us this weekend. He's fighting off a bad flu, and so if you could, please keep he and Annette in the house in prayer for a swift recovery over these next couple of days. All right. Hey, so let's go ahead and pray and get into the text. Heavenly Father, we need clarity to be able to understand your word. Um, Give us an increased sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit in this time and the courage to take what we hear from you and apply it in our lives across all spheres of what we do. Heavenly Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, like I mentioned, we're going to be continuing in the Gospel of John. We left off about four or five weeks ago for the holiday season, so it might be worthwhile to kind of place what we're doing here in context. You may remember this handy diagram that demonstrates the book of John is essentially divided into about two halves. Part one is chapters 1 through 12 that tell the story of Jesus' public ministry, the three years of healing, teaching, and miracles. Chapters 13 through 20 form part two, uh, which is the events of the Passion Week. Those are the the final seven days of Jesus' life. And especially John's focus is on what's known as the upper room discourses, which is where we are in John chapter 14. It's called that because on the night prior to Jesus' betrayal, he gathers his disciples together and they share a meal. 
in an upper room. And in that meal, he expresses to them some very important thoughts that we're going to study today. By the time we pick it up here in John chapter 14, they've already eaten. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. And that character, Judas Iscariot, he who would betray Jesus, has already left the room to go begin his dark deed. And so Jesus is left around a table, reclining there with the other 11 disciples. And this is, he knows, he is on the doorstep of death. And these are some of his last words to his disciples. So let's pick it up. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Take a look back at verses 1 through 3. Jesus tells his disciples, don't be anxious. Stop stressing out. Chill. Chill. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So it begs the question, what got the disciples so up in a tizzy? If you look back at the end of chapter 13, you'll see this interesting and really disturbing story where Peter, the lead disciple, is told by Jesus, you're going to deny me three times. And you've got to understand this perhaps from the disciples' point of view. Peter, by all accounts, was probably the oldest disciple, one of the first that was called, and the de facto leader among the group. And we give Peter a bad rap because he's this big, brash, loudmouthed, rude, quick to anger, ham-fisted big guy. But he's also a man of faith. I like Peter a lot. Remember that story where Jesus walks out to the disciples who are in a boat on the Sea of Galilee? So there's Jesus walking on the water. Everybody else is completely freaking out. They're thinking they're seeing a ghost. And one man has the courage and the faith to step out of the boat and walk out to Jesus. It's Peter. So for all of his shortcomings, this was a man of faith, and it was this man of faith that Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And I think for the rest of the disciples, this was very disturbing because if Peter would deny Jesus, what does it have to say for the rest of us? And so in the midst of their anxiety and their stress and they're just maxed, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't stress out. Do you ever have a friend like this? The one that takes your really complicated problem that you're struggling with and simply says, stop. Like, what what help? No, I can't. You have no idea how frustrating it is to go to every day. They do this one, and I can't. And they're like, quit that. And then he's, and maybe you realize I can? That's what Jesus is saying. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, I would not have told you. I'm going away and I'm coming again and I'm going to take you and I will be with you that where I am there you may be also. One of my goals in life is to take Jesus' words seriously. And this seems pretty obvious, but when it comes to something like this, let not your hearts be troubled. It just seems like so 
blanket. And I was like, okay, what now? And it's a little easier for people. I got to recognize not everybody's wired the same way. My wife hassles me often. She says, James, you have no idea what it's like to be a woman. (laughs) Yes, that is true. But what she's really saying is that I don't respond emotionally to things oftentimes, and that's one of my weaknesses, is that there will be things that I ought to be responding to emotionally, and I don't, so it's easy to me to kind of shut off that switch. The Bible says don't be anxious, so <laughs> I'm not anxious. She's like, yes, you should be. <laughs> For some people, it's easier than others, but here's where I think it really comes down to our life within the kingdom of God, is that God has given us a mandate. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Paul says in Colossians, be anxious for nothing. How do we take that and actually apply it to our life? I believe that the Bible doesn't just give us these blanket statements and say, go and be unhappy trying to fulfill this. It will actually give us the capacity to do what the Bible says. It actually will happen. So how does it happen? And how does this really touch bases? For those of you who may be here who have an emotional life or a thought life that has no boundaries, hedges, or protection of any kind, what this might look like is that you take offense really easily. And then having taken that offense, you hold that grudge really tightly so that the next time that person is in your life, you respond too harshly. Because it had gotten so wrapped up in your mind and you'd gone over it again and again and you rehearsed and you rehashed your pain so that your mind had been so poisoned towards this person, individual, or whatever, that you had no choice but to respond in a way that was not godly. And I'm asking if there are any other ways. Sometimes it may not be anger, it might be anxiety. You wake up two, three in the morning, tired, exhausted, can't fall back to sleep. Your mind is just going a million miles an hour, rehashing all the reasons why there's no joy in your life. And you wake up, and you have to face the same issues again, and there's no joy. And you just feel drained. And Jesus comes into your situation, and he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Is it possible? See what scripture has to say. I believe the scripture says that it is, and hear me out here, it is possible, it didn't say it was easy, but it is possible to control your thoughts. And furthermore, the second part that we'll get to here in a second is that not only is it possible to control your thoughts, but that your basis for your present joy is the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's move on. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Do you know that the resources of heaven are at your disposal and that you cannot live life in your own strength? You can try, but why would you? When heaven, when Jesus is behind you, You have divine power to destroy strongholds. Those are the things, that's that rat maze, that's that hamster wheel that keeps spinning in our minds. It is possible for the mighty hand of God to come down and hold on to that thing and stop it and say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. 
It destroys those strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And listen to this. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. I think one of the reasons that we fail to have some level of victory within our emotional life or our thought life is because we fail to understand the principle of taking every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Did you notice that we're in a war? It says the weapons of our warfare. Guess what? There's an enemy out there that's trying to destroy you. The Bible refers to the enemy as Satan, the destroyer, the deceiver, and the father of lies. So you are constantly being bombarded with a lie, and you need to counteract that with the truth. Because not everything you think is from Jesus. And the things that aren't, you need to learn how to identify those things and hold on to them, not through your own power. I'm not saying try harder. I'm saying re-lean, fall on Jesus who will be able to destroy the stronghold in your mind so that the thoughts that you think are obedient to Jesus Christ. And the offenses that are so easy to pick up in this world, you won't. You'll lay them down again and you'll learn about grace. This is not easy, but I believe the Bible holds out for us a hope that it is possible. The enemy is trying to immobilize people by compromising their witness through anger or immobilizing them through anxiety so that we are all left so consumed with our own issues, we have no capacity to be able to look beyond our own stuff to see how we could be agents of redemption in the world around us. And I think that is just fine for the enemy. If he cannot take away your salvation, at least he can immobilize you within the spiritual war. So what's a person to do? I mean, there's a kind of positive thinking mentality that says problems don't really exist, but that's, that's so separate from reality that it doesn't really help you, and there's no foundation there. You can try medication or drugs and alcohol to kind of get rid of at least the feelings, but the underlying cause of which anxiety, stress, and anger are a symptom, remain. Scripture calls us to look beyond the source of our anxiety and our anger to the one person, to the one person who is able to take care of it. That's Jesus. Hear me out. I'm not saying that anxiety and anger in and of themselves are bad. You see both present in Jesus' life. In fact, in just a few hours from John chapter 14, we're going to see Jesus so maxed, so stressed, so blood sweats out of his brow. Jesus knows about anxiety. Jesus knows about anger. Jesus has been in the position where you're at, where you're so full you don't know what to do. The issue isn't the emotions themselves. Those aren't bad. The issue is how we are going to deal with them. Will it be recycle, rehash them? Or will it be God, help? And I'm encouraging you to say, God, help. Because the weapons of your warfare are not fleshly. They're power. There's a divine power in Jesus Christ who knows your pain. The Bible says that he is a great high priest who he can... He knows what you're going through. And so take that anger, take that anxiety, submit it to Jesus, and then go on the offensive. 
against the work of the enemy, the next time those thoughts come into your mind, claim, and the name of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any other name under heaven and earth. It really does have power. And so when you say, in the name of Jesus, stop, those thoughts that aren't from Christ have to go. And you need to be smart about not letting them have a foothold again in your life. Bible says in the book of James, resist the devil and he will flee. You never know how strong temptation is in your life until you try to resist it. So expect a fight. Wake up every day. Ephesians 6, armor of God. It's on. You're ready to rock and roll. You got Jesus at your back. It's good stuff. But do you notice how Jesus' words of hope to his disciples were also words of heaven? Here's the deal. The future hope, our future hope, is the basis for a present-day joy. How can we be joyful today in the midst of very difficult circumstances? Jesus' answer is heaven. For many of us, this is really challenging because you're like, Jesus, I appreciate that one day in the far-off, fuzzy future, everything's going to be fine. Right now, everything is not fine, and that's my deal. So what's up? I told you that I really try to take the words of Jesus seriously, and I struggle getting a hold of this one. Because I'm the kind of person that says, I understand that one day, later on, everything will be fine. But right now, it still stinks. That's okay to feel that way, okay? But how do we do this? One of our problems, I believe, is that we've resisted the ways in which God has tried to teach us patience and even worse, long-suffering, which is like the ugly redheaded stepchild of the fruit of the Spirit. Nobody likes to talk about long-suffering. It just doesn't feel good because nobody enjoys having to suffer long. And our culture doesn't help us out with this because we're used to instant. I remember growing up in Alaska, there in our igloos, of course, and um, <laughs> we didn't have any malls. Malls didn't exist, and so we'd have to order things by catalog. And every time you ordered something from a catalog, you'd literally read the fine print. It was six to eight weeks for delivery. Two months is a really long time to wait when you're seven and you want that Nerf gun. Well, fast forward nowadays, I can order anything in the known universe from Amazon from my phone, no less, and have it at my doorstep in one business day. Finally. Why didn't they think of this before? This is awesome. And so we're used to the instant and we fail to realize that God uses difficult, long-suffering situations in order to grow us. And oftentimes the resolution to the issues that we're facing cannot be resolved right now. As much as we'd like God to snap his divine fingers and say everything's going to be okay, he oftentimes will place us on a long arc, a trajectory of maturation that we do not grasp right now, but looking back, I think we'll be thankful. And he's calling us always to this. Keep your eyes on this one thing. Did you notice what Jesus said to his disciples? He says, don't be troubled because I'm going away. Doesn't make any sense yet. But the reason I'm going away is because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, then guess what? You belong there. You don't belong here. 
This isn't your true home. I'm coming back to take you to your true home, which is where? With me, he says, because where I am, there you may be also. Do you see how much Jesus loves you? Do you see how much he's doing for you? He's reserved a spot in the Father's house with your name on it. He says, I'm making that for you, and I'm coming back one day to get you because I love you. Eternity is a long time. He thinks you're that cool to spend eternity with you. He really does love you that much. Christ is coming back again. And when he comes back again, he comes back again in judgment to judge those that have been unjust. He will bring justice. To those that are weak, he brings healing. To those that are broken and discouraged, he brings comfort. And throughout scripture, we are told to lift up our eyes and see the salvation of our God that will soon come. We may not understand it right now, but right now is selfish and immature. Long term says, I will remain steadfast and keep my hope set on the one thing I know for sure. If you're here today and you're feeling hopeless, let me try to remind you of the unchanging promise of an unchanging God that says, I will come again. I will bring you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I have this vision where Jesus has taken me by the, by the shoulder and he's leading me. I've seen the one who has loved me now face to face. And he ushers me into the room that he has prepared in the Father's house. And he says, I have made this. This has my fingerprints on it for you. And in that moment, do you think I'm going to be stressed, maxed, or concerned about what else has been happening in my current situation? No. No. Listen to what Paul says. Paul was a guy that knew a lot about difficult times and suffering. He says, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. I'm not trying to diminish your current suffering. It's serious. It's long-term. It's not easily dealt with. But what I am saying is what Scripture calls us to do is to lift up our eyes and know that one day the king will come again and he will make all things right. This is beautiful. I want to close looking at these next three verses. Jesus continues and says, you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At New Life, I love that we keep the main thing the main thing. It's all about Jesus. So if you're here today and you're lost and you need a guide, Jesus is your way. If you're here today and you're suffocating underneath a body of lies and a bill of goods that's been sold to you and it stinks, Jesus is your truth. If you're here today half dead and needing a reason to live, Jesus is your life. It's all about Jesus. He is our hope, he is our king, and he's coming again. You may have noticed that we live in a postmodern world where the only absolute truth is that there is no absolute truth. 
So Jesus' words, no one comes to the Father except through me, creates a strong cultural dissonance. It offends people. In a postmodern world, there is no one way. There is no absolute. You define the path that you want to take to the heaven that you get to decide upon. And so Christians are labeled as closed-minded and bigots. And I want to try to defend the statement that Jesus says in terms of, I am the only way to the Father, by demonstrating to you that it is not bigoted or closed-minded. It is, in fact, the most gracious, loving thing a God could ever do for his people. You want to know the major difference between Christianity and every other world religion there's ever been? The major difference is this. Other world religions and ideologies give you what is fundamentally a set of advice on how you ought to behave in order to please a God so that in the final day, there's a pan balance and hopefully all the good that you do outweighs all the bad that you do. If you do more good than bad, thumbs up. If not, you're flushed. And you really have no idea along the way where you stand in the eyes of your deity and your performance is the only metric that determines whether or not you get into that variety of heaven or not. This to me sounds suffocating and hopeless. I do not trust myself enough to get myself into heaven on my own basis. I don't like this plan. <sighs> People talk about how you can, anyway. Um, contrast this with God. Contrast this with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible repeatedly, explicitly, time and again, refers to himself as the only God who has ever worked on behalf of his people. This is completely different. In every other system of religion, it is the people who work on behalf of a capricious, moody, unhappy God. That's why I told you at the beginning that God is so big, he never has to be unhappy. You never catch God on a bad day. That's cool. That's so big. And you know what? He's taken that joy and he's taken that purpose and he says, I'm going to work on behalf of my people. Let me show you how this works out. Exodus uh, chapter 14. So here's Moses, right? Moses, 80 years old, man with a plan. Got a stick and three million people and we're getting out of Egypt. Total chaos. Total chaos. Kids, it's at night, pulling babies out of their cribs. They're screaming. There's goats and cows and sheep and everybody's just trucking through the desert not having a clue what's going on except that guy with the gray hair said we got to go so we're going <laughs> and they get out a little ways and they come to this big fat roadblock called the red sea so they're standing there <laughs> hey did you see that cloud of dust oh and there's 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 chariots those guys don't look happy <laughs> i think they're coming for us i think they're coming for moses the Egyptians were coming after the people of Israel on chariots. There's a bunch of ragtag slaves standing around at the beach, just, we don't have a clue. And they yell back at Moses, Moses, it would have been better for us if we had lived and died under the heavy hand of the Egyptians than to come out here in the desert, have our blood be spilled in the sand and be buried. This is not a church I want to try to pastor. <laughs> Moses, 80 years old with a stick, says, God help. God says, Moses, here's what I want you to tell the people. Moses looks at the people and he says, fear not. 
I can, I just, what? No, bad plan. I am fearful. Those guys are angry. They're trying to kill me. Fear not. I grew up in Alaska. They give us books in school about how, what to do in the event of a bear attack. This is helpful, right? Step one, remain calm. <laughs> no, this is so disconnected from reality. But guess what? God exists in a supernatural. He can take your impossible situation where is there is no hope, and he can say, fear not, because he's bigger than your situation. So he says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see now, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. What does God want from you? To shut up. <laughs> He's God, you're not. He's got this in the bag. Let him do his thing. God will fight for you. You only have to be quiet. This theme continues in one of my favorite books, Isaiah 64, 4. It says, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God like you who does what? Who acts for those who wait for him. Do you see? This is completely unique among all the religions and worldviews of the world. We serve a God who helps us. He doesn't need anything. So he's free to serve us. There is no deficiency in God that we fill. He takes us out of the dust and he says, I will act on behalf of those who do what? Try really hard? Be really, no. Who wait? Who wait in faith for a God who is bigger than your circumstance. Last one, Isaiah 46, three and four. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to your, listen to this promise, and to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, and I will carry, and I will save. Friends, you are not the foundation of your happiness. God is, and God doesn't change. I get tingles every time I think about the God that loved me so much from before time even began. He knew of me. He formed me in my mother's womb. He carried me from birth to my old age and gray hair. He will carry me because he is God. Do you see how the future hope of what God will do on behalf of the people who wait and trust for him is the only foundation for a joy in the present hour? I'm not diminishing your pain. I'm not trying to say it doesn't matter. It does, but there's one that's bigger than your pain and he's coming back to make all things right. So do you see how God in his infinite mercy has said, I want to be with my people so badly, I will make them a clear way in the work and person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to the Father and that's an act of grace because God has told us, you want to come to me? Great, I want you to come to me more. And I'm gonna give you Jesus so that you have one way, just one thing you need to do. Wait on God who will save. It's all about Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. He is the only way, and that makes me so happy because I have to stop worrying about how good I am and can start trusting in how perfect he is. But the world hates this because Jesus gives us only two options, just two, and hear me out. It's either an all-in commitment to his truth and his way of life, or it's hell. I have to tell you that Jesus Christ is real, that he lived a perfect life, he died an atoning death for your sin and has made a way for you to access the Father through faith. And he is a king that will come again in righteousness, holiness, and judgment, and he will separate those that go to heaven and those that go to hell for eternity based on one criteria. Have you placed your future hope and your present joy in Jesus? Is he your only hope? Is Jesus your only hope? Friends, if you're here today and you can't say that, I need to lovingly, compassionately tell you it will not end well for you. But listen to me carefully. The invitation is still there. God has not given up on any of us yet. The grace that God has demonstrated through Jesus is still alive today. The invitation to receive this new life through Jesus Christ is still open. And I encourage you, I implore you, if you have not yet placed your faith and your trust in the one person of Jesus Christ, do so today while you still have time because we are not guaranteed tomorrow. But God in his grace has given us today, so don't miss the opportunity, please. There are people that are gonna be around the sanctuary that will be prayer teams. I encourage you as we go into a time of musical worship to connect with them, come up to them and just say, hey, I don't know much, but I know I need Jesus and I don't wanna wait another day. They'll pray with you. You will receive that future hope and the present joy that only Jesus Christ can bring. We're also gonna come back into a time of worship and we're gonna be able to take communion together as a community. And this is a representation of what Christ has done in securing for us salvation. The bread represents his broken body that secures for us physical healing. The cup represents the shed blood that is a new covenant, an unchanging promise from an unshakable God that says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we do this again and again to remember, to call to mind the work of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we do this in several ways. The first is we do it with a pure heart. Spend some time before you come to the table just asking God, Holy Spirit, is there anything in me that is offending you? And then deal with that business. Let the Holy Spirit speak into your life. And then as you come to the table, you're welcome to bring yourself. You're welcome to bring Prayer requests and praise reports, we read those, we care for you. It's, our, it's our, one of our ways that we have a chance to stay connected. And you bring your tithe and your offering because out of what God has given to us so richly in the person of Jesus Christ, we can give back generously as well. Jesus, thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. Our lives are yours. Our future is yours to the degree that we can control our thoughts and minds, we ask that you come and grant us divine power to do so even more. Father, thank you for coming again in justice to bring us home. 
that where you are, we might be also. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to introduce you to a friend of mine. That's Brian. Brian represents you. But like I told you today, there's somebody playing offense out there and defense who's, who hates you because you belong to Jesus. That's the devourer. The Bible calls our enemy. And early on, it can feel as though it's just you and the enemy, and it's pretty scary stuff. And you may be curious to know, is there anything that I can do to improve the odds? Yes. Reading the Bible is one of them. The Bible says that Satan's the father of lies, and against lies, you need truth. Jesus says he's the truth. You learn about Jesus in the Bible, so stay connected. Just ingest large volumes of the Word of God. Just keep reading make time for it. Connected to that is prayer. Prayer is just talking with your daddy, God. I got my 18-month-old, and he's a cute kid. He wants all sorts of stuff. Daddy, book. That's all he needs to say. And I pick him up, and we sit down together, and we read, because I love him. God's the same way. He's way better, obviously, than me. He's got time for you, so you can talk to him. It's called prayer. Connected to that, of course, is worship. It's not just something we do when the guitar is playing, but it's a lifestyle that we adapt to our entire lives where you can say, you know what? There's no gas in the tank. There's no heat in the house. And there's no money in the account. But guess what? God's bigger than all of that. And I can still worship. I can still give praise to the one who said he's never going to let me go. So you start coming to church. And you love the community that's represented here, the community of grace. And you come through these doors and you get a big hug from Rich Burkemeyer. And you figure, maybe I should start hugging people too. And you do, and it's great. And you feel better. And you hear the word of God. And you get a chance to worship and give. And these things begin to set a hedge of protection around you. And then you join a small group because, frankly, an hour and 15 minutes a week here at church may not be enough. And you need somebody that you can connect with on a one-to-one basis to be forming accountability. And out of that, you get some wise counsel. There are incredible people here in this church that have figured a thing or two out. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You have to call and say, I need some help. Can I get 15 minutes of your time? And they'll gladly share that with you. We're available. stay connected to your family. You may be like Courtney and I. We don't have any bloodlines here in Canby, but we sure do have you guys. And this church has become our family. And some, uh, sometimes you may feel like you'd like to get rid of your family, but just punt them right there. Just for whatever it's worth, stay invested there. That's family. That's blood. That means something. Then you start realizing that not only should I be doing all of this, I gotta start giving. Why does giving help? I mean, I got bills to pay. It's because giving is a demonstration of the fact that your heart and your wallet belong to Jesus, and you trust the one who has provided greatly for you. Last and most importantly, you got the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when we are saved, we are we we receive the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit that is the guarantee of our salvation. Holy Spirit's there giving you wise counsel. Holy Spirit's there speaking to you, being your conscience. And all of a sudden, what you have here is a place where the enemy cannot get a foothold into your life. It doesn't mean that he won't try to still attack you. It doesn't mean that you can do something dumb and invite him in anyway. 
But what it means is, is that you're, you, you've been a wise person and you said, I can't do this on my own. I need all the resources I can. And in this place, you're secure. But you know, I don't know what happens. You know, it's March, April, your New Year's resolution to read a chapter a day kind of falls by the wayside. The Bible, it's just tough. You know, it's, it's confusing. The print is small. It's, and you stop reading. And then you stop praying because, well, you've been praying for a long time and God never actually answered that prayer according to your parameters on your time frame. And so you get frustrated and figure, what's the point anyway? Right? And you stop coming, you stop worshiping because you've lost sight of what it really means to be connected to Jesus. And of course you stop coming to church because there's just a bunch of fakes there anyway. And if they knew anything about you, they wouldn't want you there. So you're really just doing people a favor by not coming. And you're no longer available to hear the voice of wise counsel in your life because the people around you don't care about your spiritual walk. And family, well, they don't leave per se, but you sure can distance yourself from them. And of course you're gonna stop giving because frankly, times are tough. And the Holy Spirit, small groups, forget that, another night of the week. Are you kidding? I'm busy. Finally, it's just left with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit doesn't leave. But sometimes you can do enough where you essentially push him out of your life so much that the connection between you and the Holy Spirit is so distant that effectually it's just you and the devourer again. This is not a safe place to be. So my encouragement to you, friends, avail yourself to the resources available, not only physically here at this church, but spiritually through the one person who cares more deeply about you than any other. His name is Jesus Christ. I don't want to see you in a position where you're fighting life alone. Lord Jesus, give us the grace to receive the ways that you keep a hedge of protection that protect us against the enemy. Help us to embrace those, to practice those. Father God, we love you. We really do. We want to see more people fall more in love with you. And God, I'm asking for if there's anybody here that hasn't yet received you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you nudge them right now to know that something isn't quite right until they can get a hold of who you are in their life. Father, I pray for salvation in the house of the Lord this morning. God, I ask for the rest of us that you allow us through the act of grace that is communion to be able to receive the divine power to take every thought captive according to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Don't let us be people driven by anger and anxiety. Let us be people driven by the future hope and a present joy that you are coming again. You will set things right and you, you love us so deeply. Heavenly Father, we're yours. For that, we're very thankful. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.